0: You're listening to The Bible for Normal People, the only God-ordained podcast on the internet. Serious talk about the sacred book. I'm Pete Enns. And I'm Jared Bias. Well, welcome, normal people. Today's episode is a conversation with just Jared and me, talking about a topic that I actually get tons and tons of questions about. And boy, did I wish I I knew what I was talking about. Um, But it's about kids and the Bible and you know, what do you teach them? And what's a good approach? And, you know, where can parents sort of go maybe for a couple of resources? And how can they not feel guilty all the time for doing it wrong? Uh, not, not that we have, right, Jared, we don't have like the definitive answers to this. I Believe me. I do not have the definitive <laughs> no, answer. No, yeah, to this. this
1: is clearly an episode where we are we are riffing. I want to we're, play a
0: re- press reset in my life and say, "Oh, I would do it this way now." But uh, it, that's the question. P- you know, people discover, parents discover things about the Bible that's exciting to them, but they say, "I feel like I can't like talk to my kids about this because it's like too." It's uh, you know, I want to make sure they turn out to be good Christians.
1: Right. Well, and it's also like there's. We were. I'll speak for me, grew up in a certain way that the Bible was taught to me. Mm-hmm. And as I grew, my, my faith has changed and it's evolved. But now I don't have an example or model, really, mm-hmm. for how to approach it differently for my kids right. if I wanted to do that. Right. So, you know, we mentioned, I think this came from our previous episode with Richard Rohr, where he mentioned something about how to teach these kind of concepts mm-hmm. about faith and stuff to our kids. So we right. thought it would be a good conversation for us to... Mm-hmm. Um, not have definitive answers. With, right.
0: and, and we, we, we hope this isn't, this isn't the last such conversation we'll have about this topic. And so I if think, you're an expert out there on this... Yeah, please let us know. And <laughs> This is a cry for help,
1: really. <laughs> help us. Uh,
0: well, let's get into this, shall we? Sounds good. All right.
2: So what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Well, it's that
1: time, folks. It's time for us to talk about microdosing. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good.
0: So get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code normal people. That's one word. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code normal people for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code normal people. Hi, folks. Our topic today is teaching your kids Bible, which for, for Jared and me, that's an easy topic because we're so good at it. we've
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: My, my kids are just awesome. They just are, they've memorized the whole Bible. Yeah. They're pretty much perfect. Yeah. And, you know, by age 13, that's the only way,
1: that's how they earn privilege to get out of the house, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah. My, my kids were perfect until they turned two and then started falling apart. After <laughs> they had it memorized but, by
1: two. That's, that's
0: so impressive. But all kidding aside, see, this is a question that I get a lot and Jared gets as well. Like, the stuff that, we, we talk about about exploring the Bible and not taking answers at face value, but maybe digging deeper and, and talking to others who think differently as a way of learning and even communing with God. That's great. And what can we do with our kids, though? And how, how can we teach our kids Bible? And I think that's a very vital question and one that, again, is not always talked about as much as it is sort of assumed you're going to do certain kinds of things a certain way.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot... You know, one of the challenges is we go through our own journey of faith, and sometimes it's a struggle and it's a fight, and then we come out feeling refreshed and renewed and feeling pretty confident um, in a lot of things. And then we look back and realize we have kids mm-hmm. that h- how do you how do you parent through that? I mean, they haven't gone through those struggles, so the way I read the Bible now is so nuanced mm-hmm. and it's so informed by these concepts like suffering and. And it's complicated.
0: Mm,
2: right.
1: And so what do I do with It's my, an
0: adult book is what it is. That's right. What, yeah.
1: Know. So how do we bring our kids up in such a way that they don't have to go through, for me at least, the pain of unlearning a bunch of things about how to read the Bible. Or maybe you just have to go through the pain of that.
0: I don't you, know. You may have to. And the, the, the trouble is that this is a book written by Israelites and early Christians for adults that are theologically nuanced and difficult to understand in places, and can't easily be boiled down to Bible stories.
1: Yeah, I mean, my great example of that is, you know, reading Noah's Ark. And as a kid, like, it's the most universal story, and it's everywhere. Every doctor's office or dentist's office has little play sets of Noah's Ark. It has ark. animals in it. Yeah, it's all animals. What they, they What they leave out, they don't include. Maybe it's sold separately, or the hundreds of people dying, like, on the outside <laughs> of the Ark, right? That's a different set. <laughs> and and so like but it, we miss you know that a large part of the point of that is the death of all of these mm-hmm. ungodly people right outside the boat and and so we grow up with this understanding of a biblical story that really frankly isn't that biblical mm-hmm. um, in terms of what the the point was being well, point is, yeah what yeah. the point of the story is so right. you know how do we do, what would you say do we just not teach our kids, the story of Noah's Ark. Well, we we had when
0: our kids were growing up, we had a wooden plaque in our house. It was about three feet wide and about a foot high, and it was this panoramic, almost cartoonish depiction of Noah's Ark. And it was sort of up in the hallway someplace. You know, it's, it's what parents do with kids. Here's a Bible thing: it's got animals. Put it up on the wall, right? And you know, looking at it has a little saying underneath it, God's promises never fail. Well, a couple things to that. That may be true. But that has nothing to do with the story. And also, some some <laughs> psalmists would disagree. So, you know, we're sort of setting up this little thing as a children's story. But that's nice, neat, neat, and packaged up. But I remember telling Sue once, I said, how about we just not have God's promises never fail? And underneath, right, everybody dies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> By yeah. Chapter 6, God's had it already, you know, that... You know that there's no i there's no there is no solution other than everybody has to die and we've got to start over, and what you have there is in fact, is nuanced ancient theology about the divine realm, which doesn't which isn't the last word in the Old Testament either it keeps moving, so we're popping kids down who are very concrete thinkers into stories that are not concrete, they're actually very abstract right. so what do we do and i mean i I say with all you know honesty here. It's hard to know what to do. I mean, right. there's no plan of attack here. But I was involved with a curriculum a few years ago, which is an excellent curriculum, which is still sort of getting completed, uh, called "Telling God's Story." And what we decided to do was to sort of try to do it a little bit differently. So rather than taking a Bible story approach, where you have, you know, Jonah, mm-hmm. you know, or Noah or the Exodus, or maybe the conquest, because boys like swords, you know, and it gets them coming and showing up to church. Rather than doing that, sort of introduce kids not to the Bible, but introduce them to the Christian faith. Those aren't opposites, but they're not the same thing either. So in grades one through four, you introduce them to who Jesus is, the way Jesus was introduced in the Gospels, which is, for example, through telling stories, parables, Or, you know, having conflicts with people. And why would Jesus have conflicts with these people? And, you know, the hardest writing I've ever done in my life is explaining a Pharisee to a first grader, which took me like more editions than my dissertation because I don't mean like they're bad people that didn't like Jesus at all but what is a Pharisee and why is this even happening in the Bible you know right and and or just you know some of Jesus's teachings and birth and death and resurrection sort of key things so you get to know Jesus and that's the centering tethering point and you work out from that into other things and then maybe in middle school you started getting into Israel's story but even there, you're sort of careful of what you're trying, what are you going to foreground? You don't necessarily start in Genesis. Right. Because that's among the most abstract, difficult stuff to understand in the entire Bible. Genesis 1 to 11 is the most, some of the most difficult stuff. You don't start there just because it's the beginning. You have you have to work up to understanding the theology there, and it helps understanding some other stuff first. But then you start dealing with maybe the narrative of the Old Testament, the story that it's telling from creation to exile. Like the big themes. The big themes and maybe the big characters and their significance. And then in high school, ah, now you can get into difficult theological questions on a different level, like what's happening in the flood story, really? Did God tell the Israelites, to kill everybody in Canaan and take their land. And what are different points of view? You start getting into basically more adult reading of the Bible rather than children's reading of the Bible, so that when they go to college, wherever they go, Christian or not, if they go to college, um, they are already well-versed in understanding the difficulties of biblical interpretation, which means they're prepared to handle the Bible well. But the center is not... Know your Bible verses. It's know Jesus, and sort of work out from that. That's your anchor. Yeah,
1: that seems like kind of a paradigm shift because, <clears throat> at least how I was raised, you sort of uh, get indoctrinated in in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament, right? In all these stories, and then you have to fit Jesus in, right? Which may be like chronologically correct, mm-hmm. but really difficult to do. And what I hear is, you know, maybe turn it on its head. Right. Start with Jesus and and that story and understanding mm-hmm. those points and themes, and then you actually bring the Old Testament in through that lens. Well,
0: I think if you have to choose, that's the better way. Now, the difficulty there is that the New Testament assumes that you know a lot of knowledge. That's right. But that's part of what can be explained briefly to children, and which is what we did in this curriculum. We would have a lesson that sort of explains a little bit of what might be in the background here, which again is this is hard to do for first and second graders, but you you pick your stories, you do something that can, they can understand. But we also decided we probably needed to have a section before the children's lesson for the parents, because this is a paradigm shift for them as well, to think differently about the Bible, that, you know, listen, here's what's going on in the background here, in the Judaism of Jesus' day, and the Old Testament background to this. This is why this parable would have significance, would have been understood in a certain way that might be different than how we're used to hearing it. That's the basis for the lesson that we're giving the kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're, they're already at a young age being taught, for example, that this isn't just stories. It's, for lack of a better word, theology. And, yeah, it helps to know a little bit about what's going on there. You know, teaching, Training them at, at some age to be readers of the Bible which means being sensitive to things like context, even though you would never say that to a first or second grader explicitly, you can sort of model it, mm-hmm. and have great activities that go along with it, whether it's coloring it or or so that, you know. But you're 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 centering on what is the center of the Christian faith, which is Jesus, not the Book of Joshua, right? Even though it's there, and and Christians we have to deal with this stuff. You got to pick your battles, right? You
1: know? Well, going back though to the episode we had with Richard Rohr, where he talked a little bit about the um, how we read these texts, and we got into how we read to our kids some, right. and you know he he was talking about this idea of at some point you let kids think concretely, right? And they read Joshua, and they'll read it as they would any book. Right. And right. so I think there is something, and maybe you can, maybe you'll push back and disagree, but I think there's something to also letting kids read stories as stories. Right. And you know, we would never sort of try to theologize or, you know, have a analytical lesson about how to read
0: right.
1: Alice in Wonderland. Right. We just let the story be the story, yeah. and it can mean things. Right. Like, as they get older, they learn. Is, see, I, I mean, I agree with
0: you completely. Here's the problem, though. You just said like Alice in Wonderland or like Water Show Down or something. Pick a novel that right. means something that you would understand it's a story and the value, the message value is in the storiness of it, right? Mm-hmm. But at some point, parents have to be able to say to themselves, I'm actually comfortable with that. Because many, many might say, those who are actively engaged in spiritual education in the home or in church might be motivated to say something like, but this is the Bible, and God doesn't tell us stories. It tells us truth. Right. So so much of this is unfortunately wrapped up in um, what you think God is like. Right. And those perennial questions we've been coming back to, I think, in every podcast so far. What is the Bible, and what do we do with it?
1: And, and you raise a different category that's often frustrating to me, this question of, is it, is it true— Right. Or is it a story? And how we right. make those, they can't, they're not compatible. Right. Where what we mean to say is, did it actually happen? Right. Which is a different thing than asking if it's true. Yeah. Aesop's fables are very true. Right. That's why they've lasted for so many years. Right. Because they tell us truths. Yeah. About life. And so, you know, yeah, so maybe it's some of what we're bringing to the text. I, I think mean, that's
0: definitely it. You know, I mean, not to be too simplistic, but The population in America that are most highly motivated to homeschool children for religious purposes or go to churches, you know, to raise their children the right way tend to be part of a a more, I don't want to say literalistic, but more like truth is what happened. And the Bible is fundamentally a book that tells us what happened Mm -hmm. and things like the four gospels that differ significantly in places or the two histories of Israel. It, it sort of throws in, like Chronicles on the one hand, and then Samuel Kings on the other hand, these stories of the monarchy, mm-hmm. they, they throw a wrench in the works of this, the Bible only tells historical truth. The story, you see, both Chronicles and Samuel Kings are true for their audience for what they're trying to say. They do not say the same thing about Israel's history. They're both true. Are they both historical? They both have a historical impulse, mm-hmm. but they're not giving you videotaped history. They're giving you a, a preacher's interpretation, so to speak, of history for the value of the people who are reading it. Right. And you know, if you come at the Bible that way, how you present it to children, you might relax a little bit more, you know, like I have to make sure they're right doctrinally or just Maybe trust right. them to God and let them let them grow and and be honest with their faith and and be able to ask their questions. You know, when kids feel like they can't, kids question all the time. Where did Cain get his wife from? You know, mm-hmm. like don't yeah. ask that question. You know, I had this moment with my son Eric when he was six and we were reading the Garden of Eden story, and he got very exasperated with me because I was reading it, and it kept going like, oh. like I said, Eric, what's wrong? He goes dad. Snakes can't talk, right? So that's an honest question that he asked, and I'm, you know, at first I was rather alarmed that he would dare. I mean, I teach Old Testament. How dare you say that? And plus, God might be listening, so you might want to keep your voice down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, of, you know, encouraging that, saying, "Yeah, they actually don't." So what does it tell you about this? You don't, you don't have to believe this as something that happened in videotaped history. But there's some. what's the value? Why is this story being told this way? Otherwise, it's no different from, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. I just don't have any, like, why bother? I don't believe in Scooby-Doo anymore. Why should I believe in a talking serpent? A calling is a powerful thing. It's a very strong belief that there is something bigger for you. It's about who you are and where you're going in life. You may be in college, you may be halfway through a career, but you want something different. There's a
1: place for you at Union Presbyterian Seminary for service and for leadership. Safwat Marzouk, who has been on the podcast here on The Bible for Normal People, is a faculty at Union Presbyterian Seminary and is slated to write one of our upcoming commentaries. It's no secret if you're a listener of the podcast how much Pete and I have relied on our seminary education and how much that has shaped our view of the world and all of our work here at The Bible for Normal People.
0: It's your call. Respond with Union Presbyterian Seminary. To learn more, go to upsem.edu Fast-growing trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with that, their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee is amazing. They offer free plant consultation forever.
1: We got our bushes in, and you can tell I don't know what I'm talking about because I just called them bushes, but we got them in last night.
0: And fast-growing trees knows what they're called. Exactly. That's the whole point.
1: It comes with this placard that tells you exactly what to do like you were in fifth grade, which is the exact (laughs) instruction level that I needed. And it was very easy to follow. We loved the process.
0: This spring, they have their best deals online up to half off on select plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code NORMALPEOPLE at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com code NORMALPEOPLE. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply
1: right right yeah and, and you know to that i think that's where in particular my wife with our kids she gets uh, frustrated when our kids ask that question like we want to actually instill in our kids a sense of imagination that they're not so that they're already not going to the text at that age and trying to sort of pick it apart right. and ask these questions cuz that came from somewhere mm-hmm. um that that would even be the question that you would ask like well snakes don't talk well if you're in a world or a universe like middle Mm. earth, you know, where these things, where these things happen, well, sure they do. Right. Mm -hmm. So expanding our imagination, I think that's that, the balance, I think for me, the, the literalist interpretation or the the focus on did this actually happen in some ways is similar to more, a more scientific approach where Mm -hmm. you're approaching it either way to sort of dissect it rather than, having an imagination and entering into that world and just mm-hmm. kind of exploring that world.
0: Well, I mean, it's not coincidental that the rise of the Bible has one historical meaning and European science sort of parallel. They, they arose at the same time after like the Reformation right. in Europe. And, that's, and we're still very much struggling with that. And it comes out with... What we're expecting of our kids, even you know, because kids do. I mean, ironically, kids are very concrete,
1: right?
0: So you don't want to get the, like deep theological nuances about the flood story. Maybe just don't read it right now, you know. But on the other hand, kids also have think have this instinctive attraction to stories and mm-hmm. the value of stories that don't need to be explained. Mm-hmm. And to ask them, "Do you think this actually happened?" About some story that means a lot to them, it's like they're not even asking that question. Right? They're it's just introducing affecting them very that deeply. category. Right. Right. And not to say the Bible is just stories like Aesop's fables, but in places it is. You know, that's just it. It's not things that you would see happening if you were there. There's no there to be at, you know. And, and you know, you, then you're preparing them for a lifetime, not just of exploring their faith, but of also thinking that maybe God's actually okay with this, and I'm not the only one exploring these kinds of questions. And to sort of set that at a young age is I think very important but it takes wisdom to know how to implement it in the case of your children because children are all different mm-hmm. that's why parenting is a hard job and there's no script that tells you what to do you just have to sort of figure it out but if the intention is to raise joyful worshipers of God and not ones who are always afraid of making a misstep you know mm-hmm. and those are the kids who like get out of, you know, those are the statistics. Mm -hmm. When they hit 15 or 16, they're done.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Because they see through it and it's like, I don't want to live this way and I don't see the benefit of it.
1: Yeah. Were you able, you know, when you were, you were at a different phase, I think in your faith journey when your kids were young. But one of the things that's been exciting for me was, has been able to introduce the concept, say, of two creation stories to the kids and not have it be a problem, but actually be really excited because of what it can reveal Mm -hmm. to us. You know, why did Chronicles, why was it written so differently than Samuel King's? And there's really fascinating things in kind of the warts, the nooks, Mm -hmm. the crannies, the differences of the text that actually make it richer Mm -hmm. as an experience, Mm -hmm. less flat. And so being able to explain some of those things as they get older and have kind of light bulbs go off, or at least even just to see my excitement that mm-hmm. I'm not saying it as you know, as you said with Eric, like shh, like, yeah. let's brush that under the rug, <laughs> but to bring it out and to show a lot of animation and joy of this text we have and how complicated it is, and isn't that so fascinating yeah. that we have this together?
0: Well, I mean, parallel to that, uh, you know, a similar outcome but a different path. You know, one of my one of my children just. Wanted very little to do with anything Christian because you sort of see through it. It's like this doesn't explain my reality at all, right? Mm-hmm. But then later in life, being taught by people—not me, because my kids don't listen to me anyway, folks. <laughs> yeah. so why we even? Exactly. Why am I even talking about this topic? Like giving your I'm kids horrible. piano
1: lessons? Not
0: going to happen. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, but one of, one of my kids. Uh, You know, it was being taught Bible by people who say, like, look at these contradictions in the gospel stories, right? Or look at the Sodom and Gomorrah story and what's happening here. Well, the men wanting to take the visitors and and have sex with them is a shaming thing in ancient culture. That's how you shame people who are outsiders, who you want to put into their place. It's a way of showing domination, it's not homoerotic love. It's not homosexuality. That's not why they're destroyed, right? They're destroyed because they're actually inhospitable. That's what Ezekiel says. But, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's looking at that story. And she said to me, it's absolutely fascinating and, and, and energizing to see that the gospel writers had different purposes for what they're writing. And that's why they tell the story differently. Or it's fascinating to see that this story back there in the Old Testament. It has a layer of depth of meaning in that ancient culture that I don't know why didn't anybody ever tell me this before, and I'm like, I tried. <laughs> I why did. don't you read my books, kid? What's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. You know I do write books. You? you know, but well, you see, wouldn't that's...
1: make your kids pay for your books. If
0: you just <laughs> I'll sign them, them a for a them coffee. if they want. You know, <laughs> your dad, I love you. You're, anyway, um, but it's it's you know it's hard to it's hard to do this with your own kids. But the thing is that. I wish I had been more present when they were younger. Like not to compliment, like you're more present with that with your kids. In part because I was going through my own turmoil right. theologically with right. work and things like that, so I wasn't really present. But I'm mm-hmm. still glad my kids had the integrity to sort of say things like that to me. And you know, my other one of my other children, when she was ten, you know, coming home from Sunday school and saying, "Daddy." Why did God kill all those Egyptians? And I just sort of looked at her and she goes, Aren't they God's children too? Right. Mm. And I'm like, Good for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> good for you, you know, for asking that kind of a question that I didn't plant in her head. But she's thinking, you know, because you know what? She already knows what God is like. And she's reading this text. And you know what, it takes it takes a maturity, look at the history of Christianity, it takes a maturity and a subtlety and a nuance to work with texts like this, and that's Judaism as well, not just Christianity. And I'm glad that she's already in a place where she's not black and white literalist about this, but asking a question about this, saying, this rings so untrue to me, what do I do with this? Right, you know? right. I think you know th- now that's that is a scary place for parents because oh no my kids are out of control I don't know what they're going to believe next well guess what you know right. you don't you don't you cannot and when you try to control your kids it works for 10 12 15 years but as soon as they drive <laughs> or as soon as they go to college yeah mm-hmm. they're done right. and and so what do you do i mean that and and how does spiritual education and training feed into preparing them to live as independent adults who appreciate and understand ambiguity and the search for truth and seeking after god instead of and having it be sort of thing that immerses their lives all around rather than just mm-hmm. <clears throat> this compartment where you go to church and you meet the same people and you say the same things and you have all the answers and then the rest of the week it's like i just have to keep quiet This works in that bubble, but it doesn't work anyplace else. Right, Right. it's not a paradigm that explains their reality. What can we do with kids? I mean, I'm asking rhetorically, but what can we do with kids to help them be explorers of their faith, which they're gonna be anyway, right? You know, rather than simply dutiful soldiers who have all the right
1: answers. Yeah, and I think being able to, you know, we've talked before about how the Bible does present maybe a wider array of human experiences than we are comfortable with. Yeah. And and allowing those things earlier on where we can basically say that the, the Bible itself can handle a variety of human experience. Mm-hmm. Doubt, grief, right. pain, mm-hmm. questions, right. answers, joy. I mean, name mm-hmm. the emotion, mm-hmm. and it's in the text. Right. Name the question, and we'll find it. And, right. and so, being able to present the faith not as one where, you know, this is the goal that we're setting ourselves out for, and you are measuring ourselves against how far up or down the scale right. we are. Right. But it's a container that mm-hmm. can hold no matter where you go, right. no matter what questions you have. Right. There's a commitment that we have to the text, to the faith community that can hold you. Mm-hmm and so being able to and then as parents being able to model that mm-hmm. with and, and we said this in had before you know where we have to be okay with our own faith journey mm-hmm. or else their questions will intimidate us or threaten us right. and that's not a place you want to be in my right. experience as a parent
0: right. to sort of put our own fears right onto <laughs> onto our kids right so, um. you know, I, and, and, and then that fear thing brings up something. You know, I, I mentioned this probably every time I'm in front of the microphone, but um, Walter Brueggemann has this great way of thinking about the Bible, that there is a main testimony where things are working out. This is what God is like. This is what you do. If you obey, you're blessed. If you disobey, you're punished. Then there's this counter testimony. I think that probably... I'll say this, I'll probably get in trouble for it. In the evangelical fundamentalist world, at least of America that I'm familiar with, we teach our kids out of the main testimony only. This is how it works. These are the rules. And, you know, I'm years ago talking to a young father at a meeting, and he was a, a, a young biblical scholar, and he was telling me with great pride, and I understand this, but with great pride, how he and his family, they're having nightly family devo- devotions going through the book of Deuteronomy. And I felt like saying, let me know what happens when you get to chapter 20, which is, go kill everybody. you know." And some things are just not meant for children, I think. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole theology around Deuteronomy where you sort of locate statements like that that children will not understand or appreciate. I think there are some things in the Bible you just shouldn't be discussing with children. Mm-hmm. And and the violence of God and the sort of, you know, black and white, here's the choice. You know, the the, the blessings and curses at right. the end of Deuteronomy are horrendous to read. Mm-hmm. Every there's even what one line is like, and everything that I haven't mentioned is going to happen to you too. It's like everything you're going to eat your own children. You're you're going to see your your wife and children taken away by others. You know, it's like this is what God is like. Well, you know, if you take a step back and see Deuteronomy in its context and what it's trying to do, it's somewhat of a political statement for the Israelites after, you know, the the breakup of the monarchy, north and south. This is sort of a southern thing, and. You've got Assyrian dominance in the background, and Deuteronomy looks like the treaties of the Assyrian world. And so this is sort of a political religious statement for the Israelites that the Assyrians are not your rulers. God is your ruler. You have to trust God. And, you know, the same kinds of blessings and curses you might find in treaties of the ancient world you sort of see in Deuteronomy. There's a a historical context where this makes sense. We don't share that historical context. You're not going to teach your eight-year-old that historical context.
1: Well, but I think... You know, to that point, this also goes back even higher level to what is the Bible, because if, mm-hmm. if the text is there to sort of teach us moral lessons, yeah. if that's what the Bible is, then everything you just said about the context of Deuteronomy really is irrelevant. Right. It's not really actually important. Yeah. What's important is to it is these, like, really practical right. lessons that right. I can package for my eight-year-old yeah. so that he can live a moral life. Right. So, you know even going back to that question of what is the Bible is important mm-hmm. before we even talk about how we talk
0: to our kids about exactly. it. Exactly. And again, that's that is that's one of these subtle things that it's you can't expect every Christian who's raising their kids to have thought deep the, theologically about the nature of Scripture, right? right? And that's why, I mean, materials might be helpful for some people, but I think more importantly is church contexts where what are they actually teaching? And what's what is the faith that is being handed down from generation to generation? Is it the, a faith that has is is about fear? Is about you know God will get you, kids, if you don't do the right thing. Right, the
1: right? disciplinarian, God's the disciplinarian. The vice principle,
0: or the drunk uncle who's mm-hmm. going to be you know slam on you. I mean, just be. I mean, Deuteronomy really overdoes it. Just read chapters what, 28, 29. It's like into 30 is like, okay, already. I mean, we I have my students read that out loud in our Torah, in our Pentateuch class. It's like, enough of this already. It's like, well, we have to talk about why this is there. At that age, they can actually do that. We can talk about those nuances of the text. But young kids, you know. Um,
1: but even that with the, you know, you, you talked about Brueggemann's counter testimony. Yeah. Like, so Deuteronomy has this very rigid kind of black and white. Right. If you do it well, you get these blessings. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you fail, you get these curses. Mm-hmm. But there are parts in the Bible where that is actually rejected. Yeah. And so being able if it's like okay, well if you're going to teach your kids that, you might want to show this other side, um, this counter testimony. But that's
0: more that's more difficult and nuanced. And right, right. It's easier just to have the storybook rule book mentality for kids. Than the subtle theological literature mentality. Mm-hmm. I mean, Job is is the example of that, where Job is suffering, and his friends say, "What did you do to deserve it?" And Job says, "Nothing." And Job winds up being right at the end of the book, but his friends aren't bad people. They're they're getting this from the tradition, which says, "If you're faithful, if you worship God alone and not other gods, you will be blessed. If not, you will be cursed." Mm-hmm. Right and one of the curses in Deuteronomy is boils from head to toe which is what Job has right so job is experiencing covenant unfaithful curses right but he's saying i didn't do anything mm-hmm. so his friends are somewhat justified biblically they're they're reading the main testimony right and Job is the you know the counter testimony saying that's not true, and that, those are both in the Bible. Well, now you're just going to confuse kids. Mm-hmm. Well, you, actually, you might be. <laughs> right. So maybe don't even go there right now, but wait till they have problems and 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 learn the center of the Christian faith first, which is Jesus, which is not easy either. Jesus does some difficult things, but that's okay. I mean, I think that's a different level of of of, of discomfort for young children than mm-hmm. going right for like theodicy or something right. I and, and I
1: don't know if it's good parenting or not but I think sometimes you know kids at least you know my kids I feel like kind of crave structure and but that's often my presence mm-hmm. and you know my sort of mode of being yeah. I think some ambiguity or uncertainty or confusion right. is okay right? as long as I'm not expecting them to be clear right. you know to say oh yeah what does the Bible say about that well it says this here and it yeah. says that there but it but I'm not really yeah,
0: sure, and that's, a, wow, it's really okay not to be sure about yeah, that. Yeah, that's okay. Let's keep moving you forward. You know, a few years, we've been going, my wife and I have been going to an Episcopal church for, I guess, about six, seven years now, and a few years ago, Sue was helping out with the young kids in their, in their Sunday school, and she was taking too long. I wanted her to go home, so I went in there, and I sort of tried to pull her out of there, but she wasn't done, so I sat there, and the kids aren't done yet, and I noticed two things. Number one... On the wall, a a long wall, it's probably like maybe 20 feet long with the butcher paper, butcher block paper, spread out. There is a timeline painted on it. And all the way at the beginning on the left was not Adam and Eve. It was the Big Bang. And so they go on and like further down they have cavemen and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden later you get to like Abraham and way down the line. So... I found that interesting like you would never see that in evangelical churches. But here it's like it's a different mentality because the Bible doesn't perform the same kind of function. It doesn't expect, It's not expected to do the same things. Getting the Bible right and adhering to it in a literal fashion is not the goal of Christian education. It's how to think Christianly in the world that you're in. And what the kids are learning in the Sunday school classes is actually the liturgy of the church their center of gravity is worship, not being Bible experts. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You know, folks, I've had allergies my whole life and I never knew what to do with them. I didn't even know that I had allergies. But anyway, one day I went to the doctor several years ago and I said, listen, I keep having a stuffed nose and it's just my throat hurts and it's horrible. And he says, have you tried Claritin D? And I said, no, I haven't. And he said, you have to. See, You know, I've been taking Claritin-D for my allergies for about 15 years, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go for hikes without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat, and my nose isn't stuffed all the time. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord
1: by chord. And others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song, Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. (laughs) Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment.
0: Mm -hmm. But it's always engaging the Bible in a responsible way. Now, the thing is that a lot of kids who aren't raised like that, they're raised in the more evangelical way. They actually have probably know the Bible, in some respects, a lot better. Right, they which know the is facts. which can be good, yeah. but there's also, of course, a downside to that. That you know it, but it's always known within an interpretive grid of some sort, which may be actually very toxic, unhealthy, and sub-Christian—not really the gospel, but something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe.
1: Are, are, yeah, maybe. I, I was going to say, is <clears> there? Is there a danger to? I mean. What, What's the danger of having your kids understand the Bible in concrete historical ways?
0: Well, I think that might even be inevitable you know um i mean i even have I have college students who come to college and that's where they are, and I understand it, and they'll make assumptions about history mm-hmm. and I won't challenge them because that's not the place to do that right. it's not let let's disrupt your faith okay, but it's much more complicated than that, but let's let's assume this concreteness. I just think that's the way people are. But if you create sort of a culture in the home where questions can come up, mm-hmm. those those concrete things will give way in time to right. understanding the complexities. It's like, you know, when kids turn eight or something, they realize their parents aren't superman and superwoman. They're just like normal flawed people, right? And and it sort of works that way too with religious training. And, uh, you know, John Levinson, one of my professors, a wonderful guy at Harvard, he, he talked about how kids, uh, you know, learn about their faith in a certain way. And then they become adults and they've grown up in every other way, except they still think in concrete terms about their faith, because that's what they're taught. You've got to this is right. concrete. It's so much it, it, there is concreteness, but there's so much more than that in these stories. Right. And, and giving the kids a space to understand that that's OK and that God's not going to be mad at them. And look, even biblical authors disagree on this topic. you know. And the history of the church is struggles with that, but not tying that to the existence or non-existence of God, let's say. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Because, My goodness, the Bible's a mess. I guess God doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Parents, open your eyes. Do you see what's happened in the church, the, the diversity of the church throughout time, and even at one particular point in time, how we think and process very difficult information. Rather, give your kids experience of connecting with God emotionally, which is why you know good churches can do that. And in and, and worship, in camaraderie with other kids, and you feel a sense of community. Those are those are great ways to build up a faith which isn't centered on We've got to get this Bible right. We have to be certain that we are right, and this is the only way to understand this. And no question will be tolerated because our whole system goes down right. the drain. Yeah, I mean, that's I think a problem. What
1: I, you know, what I want to avoid is sort of we've talked at length here about kind of an evangelical approach, or that. But I think there's a way to hold the Bible, uh, thinking that things are historically accurate and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, without maybe the toxic side of that, which I think is that's no true. questions yeah. are allowed. Right. You know, we have to have it right. We have to have it certain. I know a lot of my evangelical friends who, who would still adhere to that. Right. Um, and and it produces a lot of fruit, spiritual right. fruit in their life. And, you know, so I don't know if those
0: necessarily go hand in hand. Yeah. No, I don't think they do. I think you're right because a lot of it is just personality types, you know. Mm-hmm. And you might be a concrete thinker without having been told by people, you must be a concrete thinker. Exactly. There's something wrong with you, right? So, yeah. and I think that's fine. That's why... In a, it's sort of like, you know, a, a classroom that I have of 30 or 40 college kids about the Bible. They all have different personalities and they process things differently. Our kids have different personalities. They process things differently. Right. You know, do your best. <laughs> let them let them grow as, as best as you can nurture them. They're going to be out of your life before you know it anyway. You're not going to control everything. Mm-hmm. But... Let, let them go at their own pace. This is developmental and kids development, development, different paces in different ways. And for some, it's okay to, you know, be very concrete and you don't discourage that. But others are more abstract thinkers. I right. do think there are people who are just innately more abstract thinkers than concrete thinkers. Both are fine. Right. Both are fine exactly the way they are. You don't try to turn one into the other. Right? Mm-hmm. But parents have to be very flexible and understanding of that fact of human development that you can't crank out cookie cutter Christians in your kids. You can for a while.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It looks really good when they're five or six or seven. They're winning, you know, Bible trivia things in youth group. But the time will come when if they have personal integrity and if they have experiences outside of the home, they're going to start questioning that upbringing. Right. And you can't keep your kids six or seven your whole life; it just won't work,
1: right? And and having that again, <clears throat> I, in this conversation, I've gotten more and more, I think, of an understanding of how important it is for us as parents to be mm-hmm. able to hold those differences. So you know, where on no matter where we are, sort of how we interpret the Bible, being able to hold a space where someone in our family, our kids, our spouses, others. Mm-hmm can question our understanding, have a different understanding Mm -hmm. and us allow that, Mm -hmm. let that space be what it is. And, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that again, we're not putting our own baggage and our own Mm -hmm. sort of fears onto our kids. And because I think you could easily have kids who would reject either one just because of that pressure. Right. Um, And so making sure we're in a good place and are we confident and okay, not certain, Right. We don't necessarily know, but are we in a good place? And I think that can go a long way.
0: Well, and, and being aware of yourself, that's important. I remember the realization one day when I realized I'm not gonna be happy until my kids are as screwed up as I am. Hmm. Because then I know what's going on. But letting them go to figure things out on their own, right? Hmm. That's a scary proposition, but you know, being aware of not imposing your fears onto your kids. I mean, that, this, that's one reason why parenting is so hard. It's, it's, it's knowing yourself also why you're raising your kids. And you have such a short time with them. And and sometimes I think, like, a parent's duty is to prepare their kids to make it through midlife. <laughs> you know, where you don't sort of create all this baggage that they're going to have to get over. Right. And I think my kids have had midlife crises, like, in their late teens and early 20s. It sort of has happened for them. Then, and it's sort of, it's nice to sort of see that they're asking questions at that age about themselves that I wasn't asking until my, like, early, mid-40s. Right. You know, it's like, okay, there's, let's see where this goes. Where's it going to go? Aren't you worried? I have no idea where it's going to go. I can't be worried. That's not my job at this point. Mm You know, So... And that's you just you know I I guess you have to trust God at some point with your kids. I really think it comes down to that that you you entrust them. You do the best that you can. You're always looking into yourself to see how am I doing? Is this a good thing? What's motivating me? Why am I so afraid right now? Right. And 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 what is actually frightening me? Is it that God will zap my child right Mm -hmm. for not getting the right answer on a theology quiz or something for asking that question you shouldn't ask. Okay, what kind of a God do you believe in at this point, right? right? But speaking from experience, rarely do we as parents stop and ask those kinds of questions. And those that do, I think, are much, much better off. So how do you teach your kids Bible? It actually starts with you and knowing yourself and, and who you are and what motivates you and what you're afraid of and what brings you joy. And, and at some point, letting go of your kids, which you have to do from the moment they're born little by little, and the act of trusting God with your children is very difficult, but it's like without that, then fear dominates, and you do all sorts of things to screw your kids up, <laughs> which they'll usually recover from.
1: Yeah, and very with practically. With a good medical plan, at least. You know, you know? <laughs> one of the things you said very <clears throat> practically, too, that I, I think I'll end with is Starting with Jesus, and you know we've been attending uh, a Mennonite congregation, and it's been very refreshing for us to see that approach where they do—they right. begin with Jesus, and that's sort of the filter now through which mm-hmm. we will read the Old Testament. We read Joshua, mm-hmm. we, we read it through the lens of the life of Jesus, right. the themes in Jesus's mm-hmm. uh, life in the Gospels, and that really makes a difference, I mm-hmm. think, for yeah. how our kids understand their faith.
0: That's an Anabaptist approach, and not a neo-Calvinist or Southern Baptist approach. I don't mean that in a maligning sort of way, but there are more biblicistic traditions where all the Bible sort of has this equal ultimacy sort of thing, and and there's more pressure there, but if your center of gravity is learning about who Jesus is, that, that's I think that, that, that corrects a lot of the problems. Thanks for listening, everyone. And just remember, uh, Telling God's Story, a curriculum that is out there that's being built that you might find very, very hopeful. And again, thank you for listening. It's a privilege, and uh, you know we don't take lightly the opportunity we have to speak into some of your lives about especially a very important topic like our kids. Absolutely. Well, thanks again,
1: everyone. We hope you join us next time for our episode with Old Testament scholar Mark Brettler.